Welcome to the BG Podcast, conversations at the intersection of business, community, and public policy from the Austin metro and around Texas. You can find this episode and prior recordings at www.binghamgp.com slash podcast and on iTunes and Google Play. Hello, this is AJ Bingham, CEO of the Bingham Group, and today we are recording from the offices of Valkyrie AI based in Austin, Texas. We have with us us three scientists uh, who are going to be breaking down some of the aspects the applications of AI in the public sector. I want to welcome Meredith Butterfield, Ben Jack, and Betsy Hiller to the show. Hi. Hello, guys. Hello. Thanks for having us. Thanks for letting us come to your office. And before we get into the topic, I want to just get a brief snapshot of your background. Meredith, I know you're a fellow Demon Deacon, mm-hmm. Wake Forest, mm-hmm. for undergrad, but yes. where, uh, where else do you go for postgrad? So I, um, after Wake Forest, I went to LA and I was a um, group counselor at a homeless youth shelter. And then I went and got my master's at University of Texas Mm -hmm. in educational psychology. And then I worked for ACT, the testing company, Mm -hmm. for some years. And then I went back for my PhD in quantitative methods, so statistics and psychometrics. Mm -hmm. Got it. And what's your your role here at um, I am a principal data scientist, and um, I work primarily in the verticals of finance and education. Okay. Actually, between Valkyrie and my PhD, I worked at Goldman Sachs. Okay, I really mom and pop shop. I've heard of the company. Mm-hmm. Very good. Mm-hmm. And Betsy? Yeah, um, I'm Betsy Hilliard. I my background. I went to Brandeis University for economics and computer science, and then I was at Brown for grad school in computer science and AI, focusing on bidding in online ad auctions predominantly. Um, I worked a little bit for a government research lab in Rhode Island. Uh, then at USAA, um, starting the bank data science practice there. And then I've been at Valkyrie for about a year, and I'm a senior scientist here. Very good. And Ben? Yeah, um, so I did my undergrad originally in biochemistry at the University of Miami in Florida. Um, then I went to work for the Red Cross Biomedical Services Division for a couple of years. And uh, while I was there, I sort of realized how data-driven biology was becoming. Um, so I went to graduate school to get my PhD in computational biology. Um, there I worked on building computer simulations of what happens inside a cell when it's infected with the virus. Um, when I finished that, I came to work here at Valkyrie and I've worked on problems in industries ranging from financial services to construction to as media, broadly speaking. Mm-hmm. Very good. So again, uh, what's the overview of Valkyrie? Like, what are all of the services y'all provide, and what's that model like? Yeah. So we are a data science and strategy firm, uh, consulting. So we go in and we're helping clients who either have data science programs and they need to augment, or don't have a data science practice, and uh, we are helping them either from they have data to they don't have data, and we need to help them find data from external sources we are going in and doing creating hypotheses that can be tested against uh, data science doing uh, everything from financial modeling prediction clustering um, computer vision so lots of different types of machine learning and ai models very good and um you know one thing my interest in talking to y'all was i've just as a civilian in the technology space Mm -hmm. Um, AI is something that I mean. So it's been uh, I think in the in the public imagination for for decades. Yeah. But in recent you know in recent years, particularly in this I think 
kind of almost aligned with the rise of blockchain, mm-hmm. where that, that means to people, right? Yes. Has been, you know, kind of, I think, in parallel. You're hearing more and more about it. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, especially as kind of with quantum, with quantum computing, too, mm-hmm. as these technologies are kind of fully being realized yeah. almost, right? I think it's still in its infancy to a degree. Yeah. Um, but I really want to focus on what are you seeing in industry as some of the public sector applications for this, the real applications, yeah. things that maybe are, you know, within the next five years will be here, and then maybe things are gonna, should be here in the next 20 years given industry trends. Yeah, I think there's a lot of, um, I think there's definitely, I mean, there's huge buzz around AI and everything, and then there's a lot of, um, kind of what people think it's going to be. I think that there's been a lot of buzz around self-driving cars, huge focus on that with blockchain. I think a lot of people have thought of that as kind of synonymous with cryptocurrency, but then now we're starting to see lots of implications across verticals and industries for blockchain, um, computer security, and just and uh, a lot of different things. So I think there's a lot of what people think AI is gonna do for cities, and then there's what it's actually going to do. Um, and I think there's also a lot of misconceptions that it's going to be all about uh, self-driving cars and kind of this police state and that every motion is going to be monitored in your face and where is everybody. And I think there's a lot of that on television mm-hmm. and in movies and it's not necessarily, um, you know, I think the, the reality of it is maybe a little bit more boring <laughs> Yeah. and not as, uh, not as blockbuster worthy. Um, I know Ben has some some thoughts on that. Yeah, I, I think um, some of the the applications of AI that have had the most impact are, are also can be the ones that are almost invisible. Where like you, it works so well that you don't even really realize the complexity of what's happening behind the scenes to make that to make that happen. Um, what are some examples of that? So this this isn't necessarily from the public sector, but these are things like like the. I don't know, Netflix recommendation engine type of thing where that recommendation engine alone is worth billions of dollars. Mm-hmm. And you're just sitting there thinking, oh, this is a good movie to watch or whatever. But they, there are hundreds if not thousands of engineers that have worked, worked on that specific problem. Um, so that's kind of a- Google Maps, I mean, you think about obviously Austin traffic is insane and with UT coming back, it's about to get even crazier. And I live three miles down Lamar, and every day I check my Google map and I say, okay, what is the best route? And it seems really simple, um, but it hugely affects Austin traffic. Oh, yeah. It's funny, like, growing up here, again, like you just, I use, it's a mix of using Google and also just, okay, Google Maps says this. Mm-hmm. When you're a human brain, like, okay, I know that, but remember, there's a side street over here that I know just from, just from mm-hmm. kind of pattern recognition, I know. I can cut through here because no one really takes that street and X, Y, and Z, but I agree. And I think maybe, you know, one of the applications potentially could be just with city services in terms of help one, you know, recommending service for, for folks, right? Helping them mm-hmm. cut through um, customer service for, you know, if it's, well, I know definitely for those who are in the developer community, the land development community uh, with permitting, oh for sure. Gosh. And it's assessing that as, uh, I know there's, there's a city audit out uh, today on August 16th about that. And uh, you know it's definitely a perennial problem in our city, just with permitting flow and how that can be assessed. Yeah. And and there's also a lot of other sort of low-hanging fruit that a city could take advantage of, right? Call routing, right? You call in to get a city service, and we can do so much now to predict why is this person calling, what's the urgency of this call, um, just you know based on have they called before, where are they calling from, what time of day is it, mm-hmm. to just like how do you make 
normal services that people are interacting with the city and bureaucracy? How do you make bureaucracy less annoying through technology? That is, yeah. There's so much, you know, like, we, you can everyone now expects things to be online and the yeah. idea that you have to like go and talk to someone at a window yeah. to get something done just drives everyone crazy so what can we do yeah. with yeah. ai and technology that's then? i recently was trying to get a certificate of occupancy for my mom's house that is 90 years old and it somehow has never had that and i went into the in, Dallas or in, in, austin? in austin i went into God the bless develop, you. <laughs> development office and i went in on wednesday at some time and then i couldn't wait, and so I had to come back, and I came back at 1.30, and they said, oh no, we close at noon. We're only open at eight to noon, and then I went back on Thursday, and they said, oh, the zoning people are actually only here Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. So even just, what is the system that would be the most efficient for people? You know, is there something that you can do online? Can people who have smaller problems, can these be predicted? Um, it's, it's crazy, mm-hmm. it's a crazy system. It's gonna be more important too, as cities grow and as populations become more mobile. Right. Um, this is also something that cities are going to have to think about from a revenue perspective. If everyone's working in the gig economy and everyone moves all the time, right? How are you keeping track of taxes? How are you mm-hmm. keeping, you know, how are you helping people move into your city and not have to spend the first two days they live here in lines getting permits and systems? Right. Like, what can we do to speed up that process um, as yeah. well? Yeah. Like even with DPS, right? The, the text or text department of public safety just for license renewals and those kind of things. I mean, they had the system set up a while back where probably, you know, four or five years ago now, though, you can just register, you can get online, in line on your phone, yeah. and they'll text you when it's your time. So you can just sit in your car if you want, not the B and Q in the, in, the, in the offices, right? And I mean, yeah, so I mean, that's pretty, I don't know how it works in the back end, but pretty straightforward. Yeah. And so I think along those lines, on the service side for cities, I hope um, that becomes more prevalent. But you know, technology and government, in theory, should work together, but they, you know, just across the board, they don't. And what do you yeah. think some of the hurdles are to that? Is it the education, or is the, or is education of the officials in the bureaucracy that needs to work with it, or the, the kind of the inherent nature of bureaucracy just being conservative in the sense of that, it, you know, it just takes a while for it to adapt. So I think it's a couple of things. I think it's regulation right so policy and regulation are actually really important in this space you don't want to be you know there's already enough discrepancy in how people are treated based on economic and class and racial background um and the problem with ai is it can solve a lot of those problems but it can also exacerbate them Mm -hmm. right so it is good that our government systems have policies right to to try to combat that right like the dangerous thing with ai is it can make well, it's great, it can make decisions faster and better. But if you don't do a good job in telling the AI what you really want, what you're optimizing for, and making sure that you you know, detect and avoid bias, um, then you can actually be making tons more decisions faster that are bad, mm-hmm. right? So I think there's, there's a lot of stuff, like regulation is important in this space, and sometimes it's a bit more important than you know, there's nothing really wrong if Netflix recommends a movie to me based on what it thinks my race is, right? Like, yeah, it's not great, but it's not like affecting me yeah. <laughs> greatly, right? Yeah, but or based if, on if your I'm, zip code. Or based on my zip code or my income level or my gender, right? Like, that's not a big issue, but it, that, it does become an issue in the public sector. Yeah, right? law enforcement or like, it was a movie, uh, Minority Report, Education. right? Yeah. 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 Um, and education is, is another place where predicting um, 
how many students are going to be at a particular uh, elementary school, the resources that are needed, all of that. You were talking about the registration process. For school, I mean, there's a big difference in um, the way that the registration happens and it's a really difficult process and there are um, there are always differences between the registration that's expected and what they get and the timing of which students are registering when and so trying to uh, predict the number of students that would be enrolled in kindergarten at various elementaries and the number of students that are going to need um, ESL or special ed help or, or different um, assistances would be hugely helpful to AISD in allowing them to have the teachers ready for each each school instead of readjusting um, because I think you can register because it's public school you can register up to the last minute and then students end up having to or the teachers have end up having to move around mm -hmm. and they just aren't ready with the resources so that would be hugely helpful for a very cash-strapped district. Mm -hmm. I think more broadly too, just with city planning, right? So one of the areas I think, we're talking about traffic, mm -hmm. um, there's this traffic routing, but also just as um, the city, when they, when I, when I live in Miller, right? Mm -hmm. Northeast Austin, when they build these master plan communities, um, the developers have, they're paying a fee to the city based on what the predicted traffic flow will be. Mm -hmm. And so models for this kind of thing could be helpful. Yeah. Um, what do you Miller's actually one of the better ones because it was owned by the city. Um, the development of that, they were able to do a lot of low-income housing mm -hmm. and subsidized housing and really plan for, for that a lot better. Um, in our neighborhood, one of the, um, the subsidized housing projects, they tore down a number of kind of 60s ranch style and they're building a four-story building that's going to be amazing and it's going to be a really, really nice, but the population of that is going to then triple or double, or, or triple or quadruple the number of students who are going to the elementary school, the mm -hmm. local elementary school. So just that projection and what that school is going to need is just, it's gonna be, they're going to have to adjust very quickly the moment that that opens. Yeah, very good. Um, are you all seeing any policy, just uh, probably more federally right now, but anything that your company is seeing or if your company's a Valkyrie's member of association, you're seeing, in the AI space, I've noticed, well, I know government tends to be more reactive than proactive, even if it wants to be, it says it claim, or you know, this is the, at the federal level down to the local level um, with technology, right? Like, it'll, they only go, they'll only be so proactive. Right. Um, but are there, are there any policies or regulations you're seeing, it could be internationally too, right, that might be bellwethers for what's coming to the states? Uh, yeah, I, I can talk about that a little bit. So um, GDPR is the big one. So Which is was, what? Uh, it what? What does GDPR stand for? It was a so it was something data in, protection regulations. Global, yeah. I believe. I don't, it's it's not global. Okay. So it's in it's in the EU. Yeah. All right. Um, it's an EU regulation that was passed. Uh, I'm say maybe two years ago, um, and it had a huge impact on. Uh, the industry worldwide, right? Because suddenly, if you're a company that does any business in the EU, or uh, you know, you have a product that even someone you're on, you know, you have a website, and someone from the EU visits your website, even if you're a U.S.-based company, um, there are regulations in the EU that apply um, apply to you about data privacy and data rights. So. Um, what is it? General, general data protection regulation. Yeah. Like, yeah. Um, so that was that was probably the first big piece of legislation to affect um, to affect data privacy, and because AI is so data hungry, um, 
it, it does implicitly have, have an impact on, on AI as well. I think the, in the United States, we've not seen that yet, but everyone is sort of expecting that it's, that it's coming in the next couple years. Yeah, I think California is, uh, California Consumer Privacy Act AB 375, I think that's gonna be the first one. California's- AB 375. Yeah, they're in the process of working on that. And then I think once you have one state with that, then everybody's going to have to- California. Go by yeah. that, yeah. So California is definitely gonna be the, the per people who set the, set the standards. So you do see um, the, the Facebook hearings are also a sort of bellwether of what's coming. Is that with the Cambridge Analytica tie-in? Yeah, and all sorts of other data leaks that Facebook has had, right? Mm -hmm. um, I think the, the important thing in the to think about is there was an interchange between, there was a discussion between Mark Zuckerberg and a senator or representative, and the senator didn't understand Facebook's business model, right? He has like, I don't understand, how do you do this for free? Mark Zuckerberg sat there for a second and then said, we sell ads. I remember that, right? that was a meme. Then, <laughs> right, right, it, but to me, like, I mean, I worked in that ad space, so I completely understand how that works, but um, the fact that someone that high up in our government who's making policy decisions not only, like, like, he clearly doesn't understand how the internet is monetized, <laughs> like, which is, something that everyone interacts with every day. And that's yeah. just scary, yeah. right? It's, yeah. it's scary to recognize that people who are making these decisions, some of them don't use email, some of them don't you know, have yeah. any real understanding of the internet world that the rest of us are living in. Um, so they definitely don't Google things. Yeah. So they have a staffer like, yeah. oh, I know this. Like that's yeah. your that's the original series. Yeah. Just like uh, they that's the intern. And the, the intern Google. Thank you. Put it on their mm -hmm. desk. Yeah. Bullet points. Yeah. Um, and so I think if you don't interact with these things, if you interact with them, you understand them a little bit. If you build them, you obviously understand them a lot more. Um, and so policy-wise, I think that's as the people who are making policy get younger, we're going to see a shift. Yeah. Right? Um, Maybe too, right, with technology, I mean, so many, like I'm, I'm 36, I was born in 83, and so generationally, I think we're all around the same age right late millennial but like it's a lot so much has happened in our lifetimes mm -hmm. the, the the jumps in innovation right I mean I remember going from no internet to dial up to like roadrunner high speed my high school had a, I think one of the first T1 lines here in Austin or we had one connected to UT to going to college and and then everything else right to video video chat on your phones mm -hmm. I mean and that was just you know in the last what, 20 years right and so that for some members of Congress or in the Senate who've been there forever, right? Like, it's a, it's a hard jump to make, I think, generationally when, for them, the biggest thing was a space race, right? right. Maybe. Like, yeah. and then, yeah. it was, it was, things were iterative, right? Like, you know, better, more efficient cars, but it was hidden stuff, right? It wasn't as, in your, I mean, you know, these, you know, being able to you know, video chat with someone from your phone across the world, like, it's all those kind of things. It's a big jump, I think, for some people. It's not getting them off, getting them off, uh, off for not being able to do it, but like, you know. And it's, it's not just age. I mean, like, I, I know people who are extremely, who, who really understand this stuff and they're older, right? It's not just age. It's sometimes it's your job, right? Mm -hmm. It's yeah. your income level. It's your education as to how well you understand these things. But it is scary that, I mean, more so with Facebook, right? I mean, I think some people would look at it as a public forum, right? When it's totally not a business. I mean, yeah. nothing, you know, there's nothing free in this world. There's some 
Like you're yeah. posting these pictures, everything else. I mean, there's it's data, right? But I think uh, you know, there. I think a lot of folks are there who, you know, they get fired because they post on Facebook. Well, what do you mean? It's my free speech. Like it's not free speech. One, this is a. This isn't like. Even if it was free speech, you're still you know you're still accountable for what you said. Yeah. But Facebook is in the best form of that probably. And um, one thing, so I was volunteering in an elementary school, and I would go into their computer class, mm-hmm. right? And she used air quotes. I would use air quotes. <laughs> yes. Importantly, I used air quotes. Um, and they they were learning some useful things. They were learning PowerPoint and word processing, right? But today's kids, even in element, I mean, I came in and taught coding, right? Taught the beginnings of programming. Um, and these kids had never seen anything like that, right? So, I, and I was really impressed though, this teacher wasn't teaching coding, she didn't have those skills, but she was teaching about security and privacy online. And I w- was so happy that that was happening, right? Like, I think the public sector does have a responsibility to be teaching kids about privacy and security their parents don't know it Mm -hmm. right like this is something that that schools really need to teach and also to start teaching about artificial intelligence so the fact that you know there was a scandal a couple years ago where facebook had been doing experiments to manipulate how you felt about uh how you you just generally felt right they Mm -hmm. can control your timeline and they could show that people were being sadder or happier based on what they were seeing on Facebook. And like the general public and like my family was like shocked this happened. And I'm in a, a global corporation that wants to Yeah. No. Like that you could do this and that this was, you know, that this was happening and I was in a computer science department and I was asking my friends and everyone was like, yeah, of course they're doing that, right? Mm-hmm. Like so it's it's so much an education of like what's possible, what's being done. And if you understand the AI that you're interacting with, you can sort of mitigate its effects on you but if you don't then you don't know that you're that like there's a potential for bias you don't know that you're not seeing everything on your facebook timeline or even now your twitter timeline right? mm-hmm. like you're not seeing everything and so that's interesting betsy so do you think i mean to a degree there's some critical thinking that's required on you know technology is a tool i don't care how advanced it's ultimately a tool to serve humanity to serve us and but we can't we have to maintain some level of critical, actually, strip old school critical thinking about how these things, about what's coming in our heads and how it's being received, right? And I think about that, and I don't know if it's because of the industry I'm in, in the lobby, but when I hear hear a speech or anything, right, I'm very aware of that job or commercial, right, like a Nike commercial or something, and that you know that little adrenaline spike, some some image, you know, which I know those companies spent a lot of money to to do. I remember talking to. Uh, I did a presentation to a career day for like fourth graders, and I said one of the things, and you know, I'm based on public affairs and PR. Again, they, they spend millions to understand how four four or eight eight year old thinks, and so when you see a commercial, it has to make you feel. It has to make you feel when you see like Jordan or whoever or LeBron James like slam dunking and the sweat kind of the power move, like oh it's, it's a boost, right? Yeah, that thing costs a lot of money, make you feel that way, and it's triggered to make you think about buying those shoes. That you can be that person too, or the lap it could be a tech, whatever it is, right? All these things that if you're not really thinking about how it makes you feel, is going with it, um, you know, it, it's trouble. It's well, it's a, it can definitely it's problematic. It can be very dangerous. Yeah. yeah. And I think that people now, 
because commercials have been around for you know decades people now know oh this is a commercial they're trying to sell me something kids maybe not but uh, adults at least and I think that understanding, you would think yeah, <laughs> oh, so understanding that kind of paternalism um, and how cities are using it or how companies are using it and to to alter your behavior um, and hopefully cities and and the government can kind of use it for good to help you, um, you know, using it to say, okay, you guys, if you do this, you can bike more and then we're healthier cities or having school kids make healthier choices on their lunches or, um, you know, whatever we can, we can do to kind of make healthier choices for people to, um, or reducing traffic or things like that. But uh, being, just being aware of the implications that, especially if it's private corporations. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then ooh, the government too. I mean, yeah. there's like, definitely the government not like too. conspiracy theory, but it's just you know, like ultimately, I think uh, I think it's, it's incumbent on the public, right, with any technology, to not be overly reliant on it, like it's the end all. For example, with Google Maps mm-hmm. or or Apple Maps too, like the people that you have these stories where they didn't look up or they're following the map via their app all the way across, all the way over the bridge, yes. or off the cliff, you're like. Why'd you do that? Because it said to go there, but yeah. no, like, yeah. you gotta pull back and think, right? I mean, and that's always, a, I think, when you think about some of the movies about AI, right? It's just, you know, technology run amok, but like, you let it run amok. Mm-hmm. Like, you let it control your life versus saying, like, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna, pre- you know, press my remote into yeah. myself, you know, like. It's that common sense. I mean, we are so used to guardrails within our society. Um, you know, you think about the, the boil uh, water. Oh, yeah. That we had here mm-hmm. in Austin where everybody had to boil their water. I mean, you would have thought, I mean, we were so used to running water, people just didn't even know what to do. Mm-hmm. Just boil it. I mean, the water was still running. Yeah. It was just, you had to boil it. Like, it was a little and, inconvenience. And you have electricity and you have gas and you have everything. I mean, mm-hmm. so we are so reliant on these kind of public services that you know, the power goes out for an hour and my kids can't figure out. They're like, oh, the TV isn't working. Oh, let me use my iPad. And mm-hmm. I'm like, well, the internet isn't working either because the electricity's out. So what we do? Just, guys, oh my gosh. Yeah. And, and I go outside. We, yeah. And what are we going to do as a society when more and more of the things we rely on are that way, mm-hmm. right? So, like, if everything really requires power, even including, like, getting into your house, right? Like, you've got a smart lock on your house and, like, the power goes out or the internet goes out and, like, you can't use your phone to, you know, Bluetooth into your house or whatever is happening. Like, there's a risk or with self-driving cars you know, what's going to happen if there are major network issues mm-hmm. and, and cars aren't able to, you know, get the, the network connections yeah. they need to work. I think that's that's true. There are, there are opportunities there, too, certainly. So if you, I have a Nest and it's like signed up for the, whatever, the energy rush hours is what they call it. So mm-hmm. this is when energy loads really high across the city. Mm-hmm. They basically turn off the thermostat on your, on your house when you're, I think, usually between three and five because people come home and they, they crank up the air conditioning. Um, but the city uses this to kind of stabilize the entire electrical grid, mm-hmm. um, and that prevents things like rolling kind of blackouts and things like that. So, um, you know, there's definitely downsides too because when you do have blackouts, and obviously you're all sorts of things <laughs> that are connected don't work anymore. Um, but there are, are opportunities to to help prevent some of those problems and have a smarter electrical grid, which is yeah. Utilities in, in general, so um, like smart sewers as well. Mm-hmm. As cities grow, um, you know, infrastructure, it's hard to replace a sewer system, right? Like it's a complicated, expensive process. But can you just make them smarter? Yeah. So like there's, I've read articles like South Bend, 
um, under people judge did this where they have monitors in the sewers and they can actually redirect the sewage so it doesn't end up in their river yeah right um, and so they're using the same physical infrastructure they're just using it more intelligently mm -hmm. right so what can we do as cities are growing as metropolitan areas are growing to you know not have to rebuild some of our infrastructure as often um, you know that's expensive it's it causes traffic issues like there's all sorts of problems how do we do that smarter even you know fixing roads like which roads do you really need to fix in what order when should you be fixing roads to reduce traffic um, decisions these are all things that AI mm -hmm. can Address. Has Valkyrie, if you can share, have you all done any work in the public sector or kind of anticipate that at all or just, I've been approached by folks about just that? Just within uh, government and uh, education, mm -hmm. not like city. Um, but in terms of just, I mean, is it part of it? Oh, I was going to say, no, um, we haven't worked with any local mm -hmm. uh, governments. Municipalities. We're in, we're in talks with one local, gotcha. um, local organization. Group, organization. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, Hopefully we'll keep, help them, but right. yeah. We'll keep us posted uh, yeah. mm -hmm. with that. Though, we want to thank you all for your time, and yeah. love to have you back on the show. As a, uh, as a, uh, I'm sure this 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 will this area will develop more, um, particularly as, we, as some policy decisions come through. Hopefully, and uh, get y'all's take on it. Yeah, we'd love right. that. Thank you for your thank time. You for having nice to us. Talk to you. Thank you for listening to today's BG podcast. You can find this episode and prior recordings at www.binghamgp.com slash podcast and iTunes and Google Play.